That's not real encouraging to your pastor. Come on, it's my birthday tomorrow. We're ready for God's word? Oh, yes. Now I don't know if I could preach after that exciting. Wow, that's awesome. Well, um, welcome, first of all, our online visitors that are worshiping with us. Thank you so much. We love having you join us every Sunday by web stream. Thank you so much. Uh, as we contemplate Christmas, I was drawn to a passage in the Gospel of Matthew and reminded of this, that Jesus, more than anyone else, has been given more names. Cruden's Concordance lists 200 names of Jesus. It's amazing when you think about it. I mean, how many of us have more than one or two names? I only have one name or two if you consider my surname because I was not blessed with a middle name. Although N, Paul Nunn, Spuler, right? Uh, but uh, some of you have been blessed with more than uh, that and then nicknames, and I do have one of those. My uh, childhood family of origin and really, really close friends still call me Pauly. <laughs> some names we don't grow out of, right? But to consider that Jesus has 200 names and titles that are recorded for us in the scripture. Anytime I think of that, I am reminded of a famous sermon that Oral Roberts preached back in the 50s. Now, most of you weren't even born then, but he declared every book of the Bible and identified how Jesus was revealed in each of those books. The sermon was called The Fourth Man. You could find it on YouTube. I encourage you to look it up. But I recently discovered that there was a song that was written to go along with the names of Jesus in each of the books of the Bibles. It was recorded by Aaron and Jeffrey, a father and son singing team, and it's really powerful, and I thought it would be important for us this morning to just listen to that song as we introduce this morning's message, okay? Be blessed as you listen to it. In Exodus, the Passover lamb, beloved a kiss, he's our high priest. Numbers, the fire by night, Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation shores. Judges, lawgiver, and friend first and second Samuel, a trusted prophet, kings and chronicles, he's sovereign, as well, true and faithful as God, Nehemiah, he's a rebuilder, a broken walls and lines, Esther, he's born a cause courage, endured the timeless reading. Proverbs, wisdoms cry, Ecclesiastes, a 
time and season In the song of Solomon He is a lover's dream He is He is He is Jeremiah, weeping prophet, and 
Hallelujah. He is. He is. What a powerful song. You know, obviously, it's impossible in one song to identify all that Jesus is and all of the names that are recorded in God's word. And unfortunately, in this song, the name that I want to share with you this morning was missed, and that is the name Emmanuel. It's the name that we most associate with Jesus during this time of the year as we think about Christmas. So I want us to read about this name in Matthew's gospel as we turn to chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, where Matthew reveals that name that was given to Jesus. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But when he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. May the Lord add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. You know, this name, Emmanuel, is really, really very, very important to all of us as believers. For in the degree of our understanding of that name, we will be able to enjoy the fullness or the lack thereof of all that Jesus Christ wants to be to us. Matthew Henry points out that there are three different views that we can have of God. When we think of God as the almighty creator, and often we do think of God in his transcendence, in his glory, in his power, in his majesty, when we see him in that way, we acknowledge him as above us, so far above us. He is seated in the heavens in glory, so transcendent. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. But secondly, when we look at God through the lens of the law of God's word in the Old Testament, then we perceive God as against us. And I think we understand as we come into the New Testament, as Paul explains in Galatians, that the purpose for the law being given was to condemn us was to show us that we can't live a life that is pleasing to God. 
No matter how hard you try, not one of us can fulfill the law of God perfectly. And now let me ask you a question. How many times does a person have to kill someone to label them and accuse them of murder? Once. How many times do we have to sin to be accused of being a sinner? Just once. And we all know that none of us escape living life just sinning once. In fact, probably the norm is that almost every day of our life, in some way, shape, or form, we sin. And if we only look at God through the letter of the law, then we see that God is against us. For the law points out our utter sinfulness. Paul says it is a schoolmaster. It is to lead us to Christ because we need his grace, do we not? And the law also reveals the sentence for a guilty verdict. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. But I'm so thankful for this third view of God. And I trust that all of us have this view of God in the light of the gospel. We see God as Emmanuel. One who is with us. With us in every vicissitude of life. With us when we fail. With us when we're down. With us when we're up. With us every moment of every day. And we come to understand, as Spurgeon so eloquently put it, that in this great name, Emmanuel, is eternity's sonnet, heaven's Hallelujah, the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of angels, and the everlasting symphony of the great orchestra in the sky. As the angels in heaven proclaim the glories of God when Jesus was born on that Bethlehem evening. Now, we saw in the book of Matthew, and perhaps you may not be aware of this, but of all the gospel writers, he is the only one who mentions this name given to Jesus. And we learn that it's in the context of the story of Joseph. We don't think too much about Joseph when we think about the birth of Christ. It's all focused on Mary. But Joseph played a very pivotal a part in this story because the angel of the Lord did not only appear to Mary, the angel also appeared to Joseph in a dream because Joseph was fixing to do something that would be very displeasing to God. He was ready to divorce Mary before he really even married her, but in Bible times, when you were engaged, it was as good as being married. But when he found out that she was pregnant, it's like, uh, I don't think so. I'm a godly man. I desire to live a righteous life. And now I'm going to marry a woman who is pregnant and not by me. Now, men, let's be honest. How would we feel? And it would only take 
an angelic visitation to convince us otherwise of the reality. And the angel came and he spoke to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then we read in our text this morning that Mary's pregnancy was certainly not out of her promiscuity, but was instead what was spoken of by the prophet hundreds of years before. In Isaiah, the prophet, he declared, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, those of us who have any scientific or biological understanding realize this morning that virgins cannot conceive. It's humanly impossible. And when the angel of the Lord came to Mary, he had to remind her that with God, all things are possible because she knew that her cousin Elizabeth, who had been barren all of her life, was now in old, old age when she was beyond any ability to conceive. And so was her husband, who was unable to impregnate her. But the angel of the Lord came with this message and said, With God, nothing shall be impossible. That's how the King James Version reads it. But I like some of the more modern translations who say, for no word from God will ever fail. In other words, Mary, if I'm telling you that as a virgin you are going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, you better believe it because there is never a word that God speaks that is not fulfilled. I pray that's an encouragement to someone's heart. You've been treasuring away in your heart the word of the Lord, some promise from God, and it seems that perhaps years have gone by and that promise is yet to be fulfilled. God's word to you today is this, no word that he has spoken shall ever fail. Every good promise of God shall come to fruition. And for Jesus to accomplish the work that God called him to do, Jesus had to be fully man and fully God. So how was God going to accomplish a feat like that? <laughs> you know, in life, we always look at our circumstances through these eyes and through this mind. Because we can't comprehend what it truly means for God to do the impossible. But God says, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to choose a virgin so that Jesus can be born as fully human. But this will take place without the participation or help of any man... Otherwise, Jesus could not have been sinless. He had to be fully God, sinless, in order to be the perfect sacrifice. 
And so God said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow Mary, and that which is born of her is God. And it had to be that way because Paul tells us in Hebrews that in order to be a faithful high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities, in order to be the perfect sacrifice, this man, Christ Jesus, had to be both fully God and fully man. For as God, he could be the perfect sacrifice. Because when the lamb was sacrificed, it was always without blemish. It was a perfect lamb. Jesus had to become the perfect lamb of God in order to be the right sacrifice that could be acceptable to God. And also, as a man, he had to enter into our human existence and experience the entire gamut of our existence from cradle to the grave. Being born of a woman, coming out of her birth canal to the point where he died and was laid in a tomb. That's our human existence. And then to live as a man, to experience every emotion, to experience pain, to experience heartache, to cry real tears, to experience real joy. There is no one who understands the human condition like Jesus. And I want you to know that when you have moments where you feel like, no one really knows what I'm going through right now. Even if the temptation is sore, my Bible tells me that Jesus was tempted in all points such as we are. I know that's hard to imagine, but that's the word of God. So if you're tempted in a certain way, you need to know that Jesus was tempted also in that way as a man. But because he was God, he did not succumb to that temptation. He was victorious over it. And so there is no part of our humanity that Jesus did not experience. And today we could thank God that that babe in Bethlehem is now a faithful high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. When we cry, he understands those tears. When our hearts are broken, he understands that broken heart. When friends have been disloyal and have abandoned and forsaken us, he knows what that experience is all about because he went through it himself. And so as we look at Bethlehem's manger this morning, we see that this baby that was born to the Virgin Mary was indeed Emmanuel, not just another baby who happened to be born on that evening. This babe is God. This baby is God in the flesh coming to this earth that he created. Why did he do it? He did it so that he could become Emmanuel, God 
with us. Oh, Christian friends, if we could only understand the glory of Christmas is this. Emmanuel has come and he is with us. With us in every moment of every day. With us in every trial, in every tribulation. And with us in person. But do we understand today the price that he had to pay? And that this required the king of glory to leave the ivory palaces of God's heaven to come to this sin-sick earth. I don't know if these finite minds can truly comprehend the mystery and the glory of the coming of Christ. It's incomprehensible. C.S. Lewis, I believe, helps us to begin to comprehend what I see is incomprehensible when he said for God to become man would be like for man becoming a grub worm. That's poignant. I mean, you and I have so much dignity. After all, we are human beings with intelligence. The thought of becoming a grub worm, ugly, with what would seem to be a, an absolute, and would be indeed, compared to our human existence, a, a nothing existence, a worthless existence, a, a horrible, painful, degrading existence. But that was the existence that Jesus volunteered for when he came to this earth. I love the way Ken Pritchard, a great preacher, paints this picture. Christ left heaven for a remote village in a forgotten province to join a despised race, to be born of an obscure teenage peasant girl in a stable, wrapped in rags and placed in a feeding trough instead of a crib. We can't imagine of us being born into a world like that. We came with dignity. We came with honor. We came surrounded by love and adoration. But this fine, infinite God, he was willing to become finite man. This immortal God who was everlasting from the beginning became a mortal man. The creator became the created, the omnipotent, lived inside the omnipotent, almighty, alpha and omega, crawled inside a young girl's womb, and the almighty became a helpless baby who needed his diapers changed. Martin Luther Apley stated the wonder of it all. He whom the worlds could not Enwrap because he's so glorious and so magnificent and so incomprehensibly majestic and powerful and all immense in all of his attributes. He now lies in Mary's lap, a tiny, helpless baby. And this is how John describes 
that baby. He was the Word who was made flesh. And he dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. We beheld his glory. The glory, you know that word glory? I mentioned it a few weeks ago in my sermon on Hebrews. The Shekinah, the absolute brilliance and magnificence of what radiates out of God because of who he is and his essence of perfect holiness and righteousness and truth and justice. We beheld the glory the Shekinah is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This word came to this earth and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is an unusual word. It means to live among. One version uses this phrase to describe Jesus' coming when it translates dwelt. Jesus moved into our neighborhood. Why did he move into our neighborhood? So that he could relate to us. You relate to your neighbor. You become friends with your neighbor. Your neighbor sees you when you're in need and takes care of what your needs are. <laughs> the other night I, I was raking leaves and... Uh, I'll tell you a little secret. When Kathy and I moved to the house that we're living in, there was a pin oak tree right in front of our house. You know me with landscaping and gardening, I, I tend to be a little fussy, I guess. And I don't know if you know about pin oaks, but they're trees that hold their leaves all winter. Can I say it? They're kind of ugly. So we decided the tree was still young. We said, we need to get rid of this. We got rid of it. And so as I was raking leaves off of my lawn, I don't have trees for leaves to fall, but all of my neighbor's leaves come, come on my lawn. And my next door neighbor said, oh, Paul, I'm so sorry for our tree that is blowing all those leaves onto your, your lawn. And I said, oh, Frank, it's fine. Next thing I know, he's carrying out two pieces of cheesecake. I guess he just wanted to reward me for raking up the leaves. I mean, that's what good neighbors are all about. But can anyone compare to Jesus, who is a friend who sticks closer than any brother? He's a neighbor that sees us when we are within the secrecy of our own homes and he knows what's going through our minds. He knows the heaviness that is in our hearts and he cares for us. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. He came into our neighborhood so that he could talk to us, so that he could tell us Frank, Joe, Sam, Mary, Shirley, I love you. Have you heard his whisper? Emmanuel has come to whisper those words to you personally and individually. I pray that this morning we can grasp all that it means for him coming to us as Emmanuel. See, this morning, if we are truly born-again Christians, sons and daughters of the Most High God, you can know that Emmanuel is not only with you, 
He is in you by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, it's wonderful when we have someone who's with us, but to think that the relationship is so inseverable because he is in us and that's why he is the hope of glory because when we're going through those tough places that we can't handle on our own Jesus is whispering I'm in you and you can do all things through me who gives you the strength Christ in us does not the scripture say you're the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, Emmanuel means more than just God with us. It means he's going to walk in us and the life that we now live will be a life lived with Christ in such intimate relationship with, it, with us. As we journey through life, in every circumstance, we can know that God surrounds us as well. The scripture says in Psalm 125, verse 2, As the mountains are around Jerusalem, so the Lord is around his people from henceforth and forevermore. I hope you can cling to some of these promises today and understand this is what Christmas is really all about. It's not about the tinsel. It's not about the Christmas tree. It's not about the gifts under the tree. It's not about that wonderful dinner you're planning for Christmas Day. It's about Jesus, Emmanuel, God with you who surrounds your life. So what's coming against you, whatever it is, it has to get through God, Emmanuel, Jesus, before it can touch us. Thirdly, when we're gathered together in his name, we can know that Emmanuel is among us. Because the word of God is clear as Jesus promised in Matthew 18. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Christian friends, every time we walk into this church, we need to be aware that Emmanuel is here. God with us. God with us. He is here. He is present in our midst. May God open the eyes of our heart that we might see him and understand that he is here in our very presence this morning. Then when trials and tests come, for surely they will. Jesus never promised us a bed of roses, but we can know that we have Emmanuel who is for us. And if God be for you, who or what can be against you? <laughs> Christian friends, I know that there are times when we might feel like the whole world is against us. I want you to know today, and I want to remind you today, that you and God are the majority. 
So let the whole world come against you. You are still in the majority because God is for you. Emmanuel is for you. He is on your side. He is rooting for you. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. He has promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He has promised that I will perfect that which concerns you. He has promised that the good work that has begun in you will be performed until the day of Jesus Christ. He is for you. And on that day, he shall, he shall be on the shadow of any doubt. Present us before the Father. Present us blameless and with great joy. He's able to do that, Jude tells us, because he is for us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he then not with him freely give us all things? Every word of God shall not fail. That's God's promise to our hearts today. Every good thing. You know, sometimes we interpret good things as bad things. Because as believers, we need to recognize that everything that comes into our life Paul tells us in Romans 8 and 28 that it is working together for good. That's God's word. I know it's a light affliction, but it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. God is doing something awesome. God is doing something wonderful. God is doing something glorious in our lives as we just faithfully walk with him and say, thank you, Lord. I praise you in every circumstance because you are my Emmanuel. You are with me and you are for me. In our times of affliction, Emmanuel is above us. This was a promise that I have to confess I never noticed in God's word, but it was spoken by Moses and recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 12. May the one the Lord loves, guess what? That's you and me. And don't think for a moment, well, how do you know God loves me? He died on the cross for you. Is that not good enough proof that he loves you? And he loved us while we were still sinners. While we were still God's enemies, he loved us and he gave himself for us. There should never be any doubt in our mind that God loves us. So, may the one the Lord loves live by him and be safe. The Lord covers him all the day long. The beloved rests between his shoulders. Emmanuel is above us as we recline in his loving arms. How else can we be held up? How else can we be sustained in times of storm? And when in the hour of crisis, we can know that Emmanuel is under us because the word of God declares in Deuteronomy, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are what? The everlasting arms. I know that there are times in this Christian walk we feel like, oh, Lord, my foot is slipping. I don't have the strength to take another step. 
And the Spirit of the Lord would whisper to your heart today, underneath are the everlasting arms. He will in no wise ever fail you. And when we come to the valley of the shadow of death, we will be able to say, we fear no evil for Emmanuel is with us. Do we understand that Jesus went before us and experienced death so that he might destroy the power of death? He might destroy the fear of death. Because when we as believers face crossing that river, we know he is with us and it is a triumph triumphant transition into glory. It's a triumphant transition into the presence of God. It is not to be feared. It's something to glory in. It's something to rejoice in that we're going to lay aside this earthly tent with all of its frailty, with all of its uh, sinful propensity, with all of its weakness. And we're going to be in the presence of God where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow because all of the former things have been passed away. And I know some of us have heavy hearts, heavy, heavy hearts. Kathy and I were just thinking and my wife thought of this because we just lost another dear friend, not through COVID, but through a lung disease. Uh, a young young man, precious to our hearts. And Kathy said, do you realize that, that over this past year, we lost eight friends or relatives? You know, from our perspectives, there's so much sadness. But if they knew the Lord, and they all did, there's glory for them. They're looking down from the portals of heaven and saying, why are you wishing me back? If you could only know the glory that I'm experiencing, you would want to come up here and be with me. That's the hope that we have as believers, that he is with us even to the point of death. I will fear no evil, for Emmanuel is with me. And when John Wesley closed his eyes in death, the last words on his lips were, the best of all is God is with us. Do we understand this morning, Emmanuel came to live with us so that we could live with him. <laughs> so that we could live with him, so that we could enjoy his presence as a living reality every moment of every day. I want you to know today that Christmas is proclaiming and declaring to your heart today that God is with you. He's Emmanuel who surrounds us. He's Emmanuel who is in our midst in this church this morning. He's Emmanuel who is for us so that no one and nothing can be against us. He's Emmanuel who is above us. In him we can rest. He is Emmanuel who is under us, who is holding us up. He's Emmanuel who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And the Bible scholar J.C. Ryle sums it up so perfectly for us. Emmanuel promises to be with us daily, not just when you're in church on Sunday morning, when you say, oh, I love coming to church because I feel his presence like I don't feel it all week long. Well, I want you to know God wants you to feel his presence all week long. 
But if you feel that way, this is God's promise. He is Emmanuel with you daily to pardon and forgive. With us daily to sanctify and strengthen. With us daily to defend and keep. With us daily to lead and to guide. With us in sorrow. With us in joy. With us in sickness. With us in health. With us in life. And with us in death. With us in time. And with us through all eternity. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. With us. With us. You look at these nativity scenes and you, you see the baby Jesus in that manger. Understand that he's proclaiming out from that manger, I am Emmanuel, God with us. And my presence goes with you to give you peace. I know Christmas is all about presents, the ones with a bow, but what Christmas is really all about is his presence, his presence with us every moment of every day. Jesus came to be with us, but the big question this morning is, are you living with God? He did his part by dying on the cross and making a way for us to have a relationship with God once again. But the question is, are we living today with God? Are we living in the glory of his grace? And we, are we living with the understanding of his love and of his forgiveness as Julie beautifully prayed this morning that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Are you living in the reality of who he is and how he wants to reveal himself to you? Is your heart open to him this morning? I pray as we bow our heads and close our eyes, as we close the service today, that we give this invitation for Jesus, the Son of God, became the Son of Man so that sons of men may be changed into sons of God. Sons of God who walk with him, who talk with him, who have an intimate relationship with him. God wants every one of us to know him as Emmanuel with us in deep, personal, intimate relationship. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that, today is a day of salvation for you. And so while all our heads are bowed, I'm not going to belabor this, but just quickly, if you are not with God today because you've not accepted him as your own personal Lord and Savior, today will you do it? Just quickly raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me today. I want Jesus into my heart. I want to know him as my personal Lord and Savior. I want to be with God every moment of every day. I want to know his presence in my life every moment of every day. If there's no one who feels the need for that saving grace, perhaps there are those of us that feel that need for sustaining grace 
that our eyes would be opened and our hearts would be open for a deeper, closer, more intimate relationship with Emmanuel. Are there any hands that would lift with mine this morning? Mine's raised high. Jesus, I want to know you more and more as my Emmanuel, as God with us in every moment of every day. When the trials come, when the tests come, when sickness comes, when heartache comes, to know you to know your living presence, to know you're there for me, to sustain me, to help me, to heal me, to lift me up. Emmanuel is here, and as he sees the hunger of our heart, he wants to reveal himself to us. As we close our service today, we're going to sing an old chorus, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us, revealed in us. His name is called Emmanuel. Let's stand. Let's keep our hearts open to receive what God has for us, and then we will close in prayer. This altar is open. If anyone would like to come, you're welcome to come and spend some time in prayer.